Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Welcome into the Saturday show, everybody. Hope you're all doing well right here on the KSL Sports Zone. Jay Catch rolling solo, but not necessarily. Uh, we'll have Michelle Bodkin, who is my typical co-host. She'll be checking in from the road. She's been in Greenville, South Carolina, covering the Utah women's basketball team in their run in the NCAA tournament. She'll check in with us a little bit later on in today's show. we got a lot to still to cover on today's podcast. Uh, not podcast. Jeez, I'm in podcast mode today. That's good. Uh, but we're going to talk a lot of BYU football. We're actually going to let you hear their post-scrimmage press conference audio. Kalani Satake, I'm sure his coordinators, Aaron Roderick, Jay Hill, will all be addressing the media. Uh, they went actually early morning this morning with their practice slash scrimmage, so we'll let you carry that. We'll carry that live. During today's show, uh, we'll also, like I said, check in with Michelle uh, from South Carolina. We'll talk some Utah Jazz, March Madness. Also, we do our staples, technical fouls, five minutes. Up. We got it all covered for you on today's show. But most importantly, Sarah Hosian is producing once again for us this week. Sarah, what's up? Nothing much. Just excited for it to be the weekend. It is the weekend. That's the fun part about the Saturday show is we get to have a good time here and talk a lot of sports. Uh, but we got to get this out of the way because BYU is supposed to be starting their press conference here pretty early. So we'll get that to that as soon as they uh, take that live. But, Sarah, what's been the highlight of your week? Oh, man. You know, you think I would think about these things beforehand. <laughs> um. It's been a busy week because I've been working still a decent sure. amount. But with basketball kind of winding down, mm-hmm. it has kind of helped me be less hectic. Okay. So I guess, I mean, it's sad. I know March Madness is fun, but I'm excited for it to slowly start winding down. And although I don't want Pac-12 teams to lose since I work for the Pac-12, it does help me be <laughs> less hectic in my life. So. I- for those people who don't know, you do social media for the Pac-12. Yes. A lot of stuff you see on like Pac-12 Network, their Twitter feed and that type of stuff. That's what yeah. you're doing, right? So Pac-12 Network and the Pac-12 Conference, Got we it. manage okay. the social media, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, So if you've, got, if you've got problems with Pac-12 social media, you know where to direct your complaints to. <laughs> Sarah Hosian. She, she obviously has the power to make things happen and such. Oh yes, she really, I could she, shut shut it down yeah, immediately. She, let's be real; she really doesn't, but that's okay. She can. She yeah, can I'm do just it a though. freelancer. 
Hey, that's nothing wrong with that. So uh, fun times. It's good to hear. I, yeah, it, it is winding down crazily enough. We had the Sweet 16 play out last night. Uh, we'll have Elite Eight action coming up later this evening. Uh, we'll actually be able to hear all of that right here on 1280 AM. Got a busy night, by the way. I'll, I'll kind of lay it out for you tonight. Uh, we've got Utah Jazz in action out in Sacramento. That's an 8 o'clock tip, a 7 o'clock pregame. That'll be on 97.5. FM. Also, you'll have uh, the NCAA men's basketball tournament, courtesy of Westwood One, will be on 1280 AM. And then, don't worry, we still got Real Salt Lake in action tonight as well as they host St. Louis City SC out there at America First Field. I will actually be on the pre-half and post-game coverage of that live from America First Field. That will be on 1160 AM. So uh, KSL News Radio, 1160 AM. We'll have that for you. So a Busy, busy day slash night right here on The Zone, but that's how we kind of do things around here. We don't do anything, like, slow and boring. Yeah, you think after football things things just stop. Oh, no, that's no, no, not no, the no. case at no. all. No, and the, the best part is uh, we now have bees starting next week, the Salt Lake Bees. Uh, by the way, get that away right now. Steve Klauke, uh long-time, well, really the only Play-by-play voice for the bees, the buzz, the stingers, all the different iterations of AAA baseball here in Salt Lake City. He has announced that he is stepping down or retiring from his position at the end of this upcoming season. 29 years behind the mic, behind the mic over 4,000 games called for Klauke. He's one of the true gentlemen in local uh, sports uh, media, and I, for one, cannot like really envision a uh, B's game without Clowkey calling it because I, I grew up here. Like I've I've seen enough B's and I've seen slash heard enough B's and it's just it'll be weird to have somebody else doing it. But it'll be one of those things that we'll be able to enjoy and we'll see what happens. All right, so we're gonna be carrying the BYU press conference shortly. Yeah, uh, so I actually pulled it up on my computer here so we'll be able to track that and we'll keep obviously an update for you guys on how things are progressing there. Looking forward to uh, being able to hear from the different. Uh, coaches as BYU uh, practiced earlier this morning. They were actually supposed to practice like later in the day, but uh, nice part is when we have live radio, we can carry that live. So we'll let you hear that as it comes down. Uh, one other thing, the highlight of my week, I probably should get to that as well. I had an opportunity to find out who my son is going to be playing for in flag football this week. Uh, obviously, when you play in these flag football leagues, they usually go with the NFL teams. And Lloyd Cole is going to be very excited about this one, Sarah, because my son has been assigned to play for the Raiders. Nice. <laughs> nice. My wife, my wife's like, the Raiders? Uh, I like those colors. That's what my wife cares about. My wife cares about the colors of what she has to wear to support my son. But nonetheless, we'll have some fun with that. And should be an interesting uh, spring. It'll be his first foray into playing football, obviously spring ball. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that and seeing him uh, get his opportunity because – He's the one that wanted to do it. I've never been one that's really kind of pushed playing football on him, but he wanted to go out and play it, so we're going to see how it goes. All right. So as we await BYU, let's, uh, Sarah, if you don't mind, let's get to what's the big deal. Do you know who I am? No, I, I can't say that I do. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. Really? People know me. I'm very happy for you. I'm very important. Uh, I have many leather-bound books, and my apartment smells of rich mahogany. (laughs) All right, so before we get to BYU, let's talk a little bit about what happened to the Utah Jazz last night. They took on the uh, Milwaukee Bucks, and 
Last night's game, I didn't go into it expecting the Jazz to win. Uh, they obviously had lost the, their previous game to the uh, Portland Trailblazers. That was more of a disappointing loss in my mind. Is that The Trailblazers are just in absolute free-fall mode, so to lose to them was a little bit disappointing, especially on your home court. Milwaukee, on the other hand, and I had the opportunity to sit in uh, with Ben Anderson yesterday on Jake and Ben uh, filling in for Jake Scott, and we talked about this. Ben believes that Milwaukee is maybe the favorite to win the NCAA, to win the NBA title, and actually, we'll get back to that, because it looks like Kalani Satake is sitting down right now, so uh, let's go right to it. Kalani Satake, BYU head coach, addressing the media after BYU scrimmage slash practice this morning. Oh, we got still a minute going on here? Don't you love live radio? Sorry, give us one sec. Okay. Kalani was like, give me one second, so. <laughs> All right, so we were just waiting Kalani Satake to get situated, and we'll carry that live, but just real quick, the Utah Jazz lose that game. Nice part is I think the, the the Milwaukee showed the Jazz the blueprint for what the Jazz need to build, and that's what me and Ben were talking about yesterday. Is that this this Milwaukee team? They're kind of the prototypical team. So we'll talk more about that. All right, here you go, Kalani Satake addressing the media. Obviously, wish we would could have been in the stadium. Um, weather didn't allow us to do that, and wanted to scrimmage um, in the stadium, but uh, I think we would kind of adjust the schedule, and we'll, we'll probably do a little bit of live work, um, you know, next week, early in the week, and then. Uh, obviously get to that spring um, showcase or practice or whatever we decided to do next week, uh, Friday. Um, you know, I, I think uh, today was a good day. I, I thought uh, offense and defense had some battles. We put them in some situations, uh, backed up, had two minute, had some red zone work. Um, you know, guys, guys did really, really, really uh, nicely. I thought it was good to get uh, Jake Retzloff back and and in the flow of things. He, he, I thought he had he had his best day today. But uh, Keaton and the boys still working, and, and the competition, the quarterback still looks good. But the, um, you know, the rest of the guys getting a lot of rotation. There's getting, there's a lot of guys getting a lot of valuable reps, and I'm really happy with how it's going and how the the offense is working. But the defense is what's new, and so the, there's a lot of a lot of uh, install going on and. Um, the guys are really starting to take to it, and, and there's minimal mistakes. And uh, it looked really good today from the defense. I, I thought the uh, the amount of pressure that we got in there and, and disruption created some turnovers was really nice for them. So uh, Jay's doing a great job with his staff and with his defense. Take any questions you guys have. All right, Jared and then Jay. Kalani, kind of touching on what you were just talking about, um, at the beginning of spring, there was some talk just about the urgency for the defensive guys. This is a chance for them to really show out for the new staff and, and kind of earn their spots and their roles. And, you know, each each rep was important in that sense. How's it been watching the staff analyze the guys? Just that urgency from the defense as they've learned the install and and tried to, you know, get themselves in the best position to to get reps on the field. Yeah, I mean, the defensive staff watched all the film, you know, all these guys, and not just last year, even they played two years or three years ago, they watched every clip uh, that they played in the BYU uniform. They watched quite a bit of practice too. So uh, when when we started day one, um, you know, Jay already had the guys, already had a, because him and the staff were already familiar with the players. It's now just giving them a clean slate and seeing how they can take to the coaching that that we have uh, currently and and the uh, the technique and the, the things that they're asking them to do schematically. Um, 
And I think it was a little tight at first because you're doing a bunch of install, but then it's also, um, you know, you guys are competing and then they're trying to impress the coaches and that makes them a little tight at the beginning. And then I think now we're, you know, practice nine. And so I think the guys are a little bit more relaxed. They're understanding it. They're been in the classroom quite a bit with the coaches. They've, they put in extra time. And, and I think today was a really good step forward for the, for the defense this week all together, I thought was really nice with the defense. And, um, you know, Jay, Jay's, Jay's doing a great job with them and, 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 I'm just seeing a lot of a lot of really nice disruption from defense, and, and I think it's going to really be nice to complement to to what our offense is doing as well. Now, not to take anything away from our offense, there's a lot of really good progress that we're making there. Um, just got to get uh, got to get get under 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 understanding the scheme, um, all the details, all the little details that can make it better, and, and that, that usually starts from the quarterback all the way through. But they're they're holding each other accountable and seeing some really good things on the field from from all three phases. I thought. Kicking today was much better than it had been, and you know it's nice to see our kicker uh, in two minute situation. You know, kick some some field goal winning kicks. That's what we had going on today, and I thought it was really nice. Sorry, you guys didn't get to see it. Kalani, I was wondering how the running backs look today, and uh, your overall assessment of that group, and if you feel good with the group heading into heading into the off season and then fall camp. Yeah, I, I feel really good with the group because you know, we know what Folau can do. Um, Ropati, we were seeing things that he started to emerge, um, uh, you know, later half of the season last year, but uh, really liked the addition of, of Aiden to the group as well. And and uh, they're, they're coming along. Um, obviously, Aiden's doing all the drills, but he can't do the 11-on-11 uh, 11 11 work. Um, Folau's doing some really good things. Um you know, we got to get miles and, 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 and it was tough because I think Soljay was doing some really good things. So he, he got injured, um, but he'll be fine. So we, once we get everybody healthy and go, and I, I think we're, we're going to really like that group altogether, but you know, it's just, who's going to get the bulk of the reps. Who's going to, who's going to, who's going to be the top two, top three guys. That's, that's what we're working towards. And, um, you know, I, I, men, I mentioned what there's, so there's Falau, there's Aiden, there's, there's Miles, there's Soljay, and now it's like, you know, Enix getting some some really, now he's getting some really good reps too. And uh, it's just seeing guys like Chase Hopkins and Luve Helu and others, uh, you know, try to do some some work that this is they're new to the program, see how they, uh, you know, progress learning the, the offense and, and the scheme that, that and the technique that, that Harvey's demanding from them. Is uh, Mason Fakahua moved over to tight end? Is that... Yeah, he's he's a like H back, um, U back tight end type. Yes. Okay. Kevin and then Jake. Hey Kalani, I think um, Jay Hill talked about wanting almost one hundred percent, if not one hundred percent, of the defensive scheme installed by the end of spring. Like, how much do you think you're there at at this point, percentage wise, right now? About halfway through, um, in in terms of install. Oh, we got we got enough already, but but um, I, I know what he's trying to get done. He's trying to get film, and and, and it's you know when we're we're putting together our cutups and we're trying to teach through film, uh, we we want to teach it with with our, our guys in our uniforms, and so that's the uh, when we're installing the the the, the defense, it, it's not stuff that they're recognizing. But now when we get this all done and in, in all the, the practices in spring, we're going to be able to teach throughout the, the summer and going into fall camp with our guys doing it. And, and, and so I, he's trying to basically feed them with, through a fire hose, but that's, that's just how it has to happen. And our guys are smart. They can take it. it just takes a little bit extra work on their, their, their behalf. And 
I think they're they're understanding what we I mean from today what I see from today uh they're, they're doing a great job with the install I would say we're, we're close to almost being complete with our install and then you mentioned Retzlaff uh today having his best day um is he fully cleared now for the rest of spring uh to participate or like what's he at you know I don't know the details all, all the quarterbacks are, are we're not we're not making them live so you know um and and I just like that he was able to do a lot more today and uh, and and run the eleven on eleven part and be in the huddle and 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 go through a two minute situation. Um, you know, I, I think we, we've seen what 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 the other guys can do too. Kate Finnegan's doing some good things, Nick Billups, but it was just good to see and, and Ryder Burton. But it's good to see Jake. He hasn't been completely healthy, and now uh, today I think he did the most, and and he's got a live arm really strong arm and he's got a, a this presence about him that's really confident and it kind of it, it extends to the rest of the offense Kalani wanted to ask you with regards to playing on turf versus not getting out to the stadium as you mentioned this morning is there any disadvantage to having being being indoors so so much so far into fall, spring camp well the disadvantage is probably Rico because he's a great punter and he, I mean, we, our indoor facility is, is really tall and big. So most, most punters like kicking in there because they can, they can, their kicks don't hit the ceiling, but um, Rico's kicks hit, hit the ceiling. And, and so it's, we're just trying to get outside because we want to cover the punts, but at the same time, I don't want him worried about hitting the ceiling. I want him to just kick normal and be okay with it. So that's the, I think that's the thing that bothers him. And, and we just want to get outside, we want to get in the sunlight, you know, and this, this, this is winter ball right now. We're trying to get the spring ball, you know, and, and uh, come on guys, let's, let's start praying some, for some good weather now. <laughs> so we can, we can, I mean, I'm a little nervous looking at it. We, we haven't even hit outside. I think we were on outside once throughout spring ball and it was on the outside turf, you know, so I'd like to get on grass and um, I don't know, it just feels better when you're on grass and, and playing the game and definitely in our stadium. So, I think the first time we're going to be in the stadium is probably going to be, you know, next Friday and we'll, we'll just, we'll be excited for it, but hopefully the weather allows us to do some things. If if not, then uh, we'll have a great summer with, with a bunch of water and nice green lawns and everything. I also wanted to ask you about Eddie Heckard. He came in with Jay from Weber state. How's he fit in? How's he been as a cornerback for you so far? Awesome. Awesome. He is such a professional and has so much, uh, appreciation and gratitude for being here. Uh, he loves, and then the guy just loves football. He just loves it. So he, the way he practices, um, I get nervous because I'm always trying to hold him down. He's like, he's like what Puka did on offense when practice, just nonstop, want to go, want to get in everything, want to hit. And uh, I, I love, I love him in the group. You know, he, he's a, he leads by example. And then today made some big plays today, had a big pick in a two minute situation. And um, you know, the, the guys are really starting to feel more comfortable with the scheme and, and, and the environment. And, uh, the thing I, I, I like about Eddie is that his, he's such a high level of appreciation, just loves being here and says it all the time. It's just, it's just nice to hear that from him. And, and he, yeah, he's a, he's a, he's an accomplished guy, but you wouldn't tell by the way he works. He just works hard all the time. Mitch and then Jared. Kalani wanted to ask you a question away from the scrimmage yesterday. I saw you with, uh, you know, talking with the president elect Shane Reese. I'm just kind of curious your thoughts on, uh, on president Reese being promoted to that role and maybe what the impact 
uh, he can have for athletics and, and maybe football program going forward into the Big 12? Oh, yeah. I, I, um, the, the best part of my job here is that I get to interact with the people. And you already know I love the fans and I love being around them and I want to make them happy. But the other side of that is I, I get to work with wonderful people uh, here in the administration. And um, it's been an honor for me to work with President Worthen. And, uh, um, you know, I, I consider him a, a mentor of mine, been able to just, uh, I'm a better person because of his leadership and being able to learn from him and, and see it through his example and also things that he teaches me, just the subtle things that he even says, you know, it's, it's it has a, a huge effect on, on me as a coach and as a person. And then um, seeing the connection that we can have with everybody in, in the president's council, you you look at the, at what um, I'm excited for, for president Reese and, and, and 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 his vision, I, you, you know, it's going to be aligned with what uh, all the other presidents, especially President Worthen, has done here. And uh, I like that he was at Pro Day and 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 the, uh, interacting with with the, with the players and and everyone that are you know the, the NFL officials that were there. And it was, it was a lot of fun to have. There's so many. There's a lot of people there, you know. And, and that was a, that was a fun moment. I know it put a lot of pressure on our guys to perform in the Pro Day, but it was just really cool that that, that we have uh, wonderful leaders and wonderful people that I get to be around and, and they have a, you know, they, they have a, a nice influence on me and make me a better person. And that faculty staff, everybody that's involved with the university and definitely the fans. Kalani, I know you've been very physical uh, this spring. Have you managed to avoid like major injuries or injuries that might keep guys out this fall? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're still working with it, but I, I think the, the key is having, um, you know, Dr. Main and Kobe Clawson and, and others involved in our, our training room and just, just, just be us being able to work together and, um, and, you know, just work smarter with our players. I, this has been a, um, a very physical camp, but at the same time, there's been deliberate attention paid to the, the, the details of, how we how we work out, what time we we do things, um, the type of nutrition, the breaks, the the level of what we you know of intensity that we're in our in our practices. I mean, we have GPS systems attached to our guys, so we can see uh, we can gauge their their heart rate and, and a lot of other things and see how much imp, uh, output they're putting into the um, if they're hitting high, max speed, you know, and, and that's. We're, we're able to just get the most out of our guys because of the technology and, and the expertise that we have in our program. That, that's that been key for us, but it's a, it's a physical and violent game. And so things will happen. That's, that's, so we've been, guys have been banged up, but nothing, nothing too serious right now. So we're, you know, crossing our fingers. And, but at the same time, we, we have a, we have a job to do and we can't, we can't go into this, this year and this conference, um, you know, easing into it. There's no such thing. We got to work and get out of our comfort zone and, try to find ways to improve. And, and, and so far it's working. I also wanted to ask, I might be putting you on the spot if Talon's sitting right there. I don't know, but you asked a lot of him last year, what's been uh, his evolution just as a player. And as you've seen his growth. Yeah. I mean, well, I love this kid when, when I was watching him, you know, play basketball and we were recruiting him and, and he was dunking it with ease, you know, and, and, and I just liked the way he was interacting with his teammates and, did all the little things right, like hustle. You don't have to teach that stuff to talent. He's going to bring his energy and he's going to bring effort. Um, but he's got tons of speed and athleticism. And he he overcame some adversity when he when he got injured, you know. And 
football was taken away from him and and he since then he 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 doesn't he doesn't take any day for granted you know he takes advantage of every moment and i watch him and he just he enjoys enjoys being on the football field and it's a pleasure for me to coach him and i know coach hill and the rest of the coaches love what he does too so we're excited to see him in this big 12 conference schedule and, and i'm excited to see him against sam houston state game one awesome thanks so much coach all right guys appreciate it go walk down the stairs now there you go kalani satake addressing the media and interesting to he- comments to hear from him as he talked about what's going on uh with the just spring kind of scrimmage what they did they did kind of they practiced real Really, he said that they just weren't able to get out to the stadium and practice. But uh, I believe Talon Alfrey is now sitting down. So we will let Talon uh, have his say on what's going on. Uh, no. Okay. Well, he was very complimentary of you, just by the way. You know, wow. and you, they asked a lot of you guys, of you last season, and said he appreciated all the energy and, and athlete, you know, what you brought to the program and how you take everything um, seriously and put everything you've got into to, to all you do. So very complimentary. But I was just wondering about your journey, what what your thoughts now as you're in spring this year, as you think back and and the path that has gotten you to this point, what are your thoughts uh, just to, about that journey? Yeah, it's been a fun one for sure. I've enjoyed it. And uh, looking back, I can see now a lot of uh, ways I could have improved and ways I can improve now. And I'm working on doing those things so I can be a better player and keep progressing and hopefully uh, be able to contribute to the team this year as well. I also asked Kalani, uh, you know, at the beginning of, of camp, there's, you know, kind of some talk about urgency on the defensive side, kind of your first chance in person, in practice, to really impress the defensive staff, the new guys that are, that are there. How has that been as you've gone through these first few weeks of, uh, of camp? Yeah, we've definitely been, been really efficient. You know, urgency um, breeds efficiency. And so, we were, I know, jogging, sprinting from drill to drill, setting up quickly. We, in meetings, we go over the drills we're going to do so we know beforehand so we don't have to take time to explain them as much on the field. And so just that type of urgency allows us to get more done with the time we have during practice. Jay, go ahead. Hey, Talon, what time was kickoff this morning, and have you ever played football this early before? <laughs> yeah, we started uh, with meetings at 7.40, so – I can't remember a time that I've done football this early, but it wasn't that bad. It was a good good time to start. Then uh, just uh, give us a recap. Who who won? Offense or defense? Who won I'm the day? Say, I'm going I'm to say the defense. Maybe a little biased, but we'll go with the defense. Uh, by what? By the scoreboard or by just uh, – No, nah, just the amount of that. plays and stops that the defensive, defense made today. First plays and touchdowns the offense had. So it was pretty even, but I say the defense takes it. Thanks. Sean and then Jake. Yeah, Talon, we've talked to Coach Hill a little bit about this, and, and Kalani was just talking about it, about how uh, Coach Hill wants to install the the defense or the new defense, uh, whatever is new for you guys by the end of spring. Kalani said that it's a little bit, for you guys, it's a little bit like drinking out of the fire, drinking out of a fire hose. Uh, can, can you just kind of describe sort of how much work is going into sort of the mental side of like understanding the new scheme and and what uh, you know what Coach Hill wants you guys to learn by the end of spring and that and that sort of thing? 
yeah. So we obviously have all the install that Coach Hill wants to you know, teach us this spring. And we had opportunity before the spring to kind of learn it. And we're going back through relearning it, reinstalling the plays. And so spring ball has been good to get, you know, live reps running the defense. Um, and then obviously our film is with Coach Hill. As a safety, we have Coach Hill in our room, obviously. So we're we're benefiting a lot from him being in there and teaching us the whole defense, you know, what the D line is doing, why they're doing this, what the linebackers are supposed to do. So we're not just learning just our position. And it's been a real benefit for the whole team really to understand the entirety of the defense. And it is kind of like a drinking out of fire hose, but it's uh, we're able to take it, spend some extra time um, watching film on our own and uh, able to pick it up. Talon, there have been different players in the past that have had Achilles injuries, and it's taken them 12 months, 18 months to get back to what they feel like is what they were before the injury. Where do you feel like you're at physically right now? I feel like I'm all the way back. Uh, I know last year I was still maybe a little limited in my speed, and obviously I can always get faster, um, but I feel like I am back to where I was and improving on my speed day by day. So, so yeah, feeling good, feeling hundred percent better than I was before my injury. I also wanted to ask you just real quick about playing alongside guys like Malik Moore and also uh, Micah Harper. What, what have they shown so far in spring in your mind? Oh, they're, they're dogs. They're, uh, they know how to play football and it's been fun to learn from them and continue to get better with them. Uh, Micah and Malik, you know, leading the, leading the defense, communicating, taking the leadership roles a step higher and, it's been it's been good to also uh, join them and you know try and lead the defense from the back end and um, make plays. Jared, go ahead. Just one more for me, Tom. Talking to Kalani about the the decision to be more physical and and what that does as far as preparing. I imagine as a defender, yeah, there's a cost. You probably get banged up a little bit more with that physical and you know tackling going live a little bit more. But I imagine there's also a benefit there just. You guys like to hit generally. So how's that been? We've loved it. Um, personally, I, I like to be more physical. I think size and physicality is one of my strengths. And so it's been good to, that we can uh, display, you know, full live tackling reps during practice. And um, the coaching staff and strength staff have, you know, structured our schedule where we can, you know, practice full live and then we'll take a day rest, lift meetings and then, you know, next day we'll practice live again. So I know they're, they're setting us up for success. Um, and so and we're not, you know, hitting live every single day. It's like every other day. So it's been a lot of fun. And of course we like football. We like to hit. So it's been, it's been awesome. How important do you feel like that is to get ready for this schedule? I think it's, I think it's really important. I think whenever you can take and take the opportunity to get better at tackling, to get better at, staying um you know balanced in your in your tackling stance and all that that it just improves and so when the time comes for the schedule for the games that it's just second nature and we're not missing tackles we're you know more efficient on defense and we'd start winning we keep winning games great thanks so much Colin. yep thank you guys there you go, Talon Alfrey addressing the media. All right, we will take a timeout, come back on the other side uh, as more players and coaches speak to the media, let you hear those as today's show progresses. This is the Saturday show right here on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone.
Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome back to the Saturday show. Uh, Jay Catch along for the ride this morning. Sarah Hosian behind the glass producing for us this morning. Michelle Bodkin will join us coming up at the top of the 11 o'clock hour. Uh, first segment there went a little along as we carried uh, the majority of BYU's press conference today. They were supposed to scrimmage in Provo, but uh, due to weather and other factors, they decided to just hold more of a practice, an early practice, by the way. Uh, according to what we heard from Talon Alfrey, they were actually in meetings at 7.40 a.m. this morning. Uh, that's quite early for a college football program, but nonetheless, uh, some interesting thoughts. Uh, Hobbs Nyberg speaking to the media during the break there. We'll bring that back around for you guys a little bit later on. He actually admitted, uh, with Talon Alfrey saying that the defense won the day, Hobbs Nyberg, who's a wide receiver, actually said that he thought the defense won the day. So I don't know if you want to make anything heads or tails of that with regards to being a BYU fan, but uh, some interesting thoughts all the same. All right, so uh, we'll get back to the BYU conversation a little later on on today's show. We'll also get those press conferences up on the podcast feeds as well for you guys to hear them. But I want to get back to what I was talking about right before we went live with the BYU press conference, uh, talking about the Utah Jazz. Last night, Utah Jazz get absolutely crushed by the Milwaukee Bucks, 144-116. to 116. Jazz undermanned in that matchup. They obviously uh, had most of their, well, I would say, firepower on the bench. Jordan Clarkson still out with a finger injury. Lowry Markinen uh, sat out, as we kind of all expected, honestly, uh, coming out of that. He was a guy that when you saw that game against Portland, he's holding that left wrist. You're like, you know what? At this point in the season, it's quote unquote mail in time for the Jazz. It's just it's it's one of those things that you look at and say, okay, you know what? Uh, if it's gonna play out the way that you that apparently the front office wants this to play out. You want the Utah Jazz to essentially go into the tank now. They've been very, very good. Uh, I'm going to echo something that PK has mentioned on DJ and PK earlier this week. Everything about this season, honestly, has been a success. This is a Jazz team that came into the season. We all expect them to be absolutely horrendous. Uh, if, you're, if you had any aspirations of the Jazz even being anywhere near the playoff line this season— I want to know how and where you found out that information because coming in, they were expected to be among the dregs of this of the NBA. And to their credit, Lowry Markin has, has broken out. We've seen Colin Sexton in multiple instances. Uh, Walker Kessler, in my mind, should be all NBA rookie team at minimum this year. Uh, Ochai Abaji has come along nicely. They've got contributions from multiple guys on this roster. And no matter the trades they made, they moved Mike Conley out of the deadline. You also had guys like Jared Vanderbilt and Malik Beasley have their moments. They got moved out of the deadline. Everything about this Jazz season, to me, has been a success simply due to the fact that they overachieved relative to the expectations they had coming into the season. Does that mean that they can't still make the play-in game? No, they could still do that. They could grind out some wins here and find themselves in that ninth or 10th spot, potentially, and get themselves into the play-in. They also could lose out and find themselves in the top 10 of the NBA lottery standing. So 
There's a very interesting uh, situation to play out here over the final, that's now nine games of the season. And I, I don't know. With this team last night, the Milwaukee Bucks, to me, and I talked, like I said, I mentioned this with, I was on with uh, Ben Anderson yesterday on Jake and Ben filling in, and Ben believes that the Bucks, in his mind, are the favorites to win the NBA title. And the way that the Bucks played last night, I would see why you would think that. They were absolutely masterful in how they came in and right out of this shoot, they were absolutely dominant. They were up 19-3 to at one point. Grayson Allen hit his first uh, four three-pointers, if I'm not mistaken. It was four or five maybe in the first quarter. And it was like just, they put the hammer down right in the first quarter and said, okay, we ain't screwing around in this game. And they raced out to a big lead, 20-point lead, and then just cruised from there to a 144-116 to victory. Uh that's a team. That Milwaukee team is kind of the blueprint, I think, of what the Jazz should be aspiring to have. And something that Ben talked about yesterday that I agree with is that what you see when you see the Milwaukee Bucks play is you see a roster that's full of what they call two-way players, guys that can play both offense and play capably offensively and defensively. It's something we have been unable to say about the Utah Jazz over the past several years under the previous uh, lineup that they had put together. They were trying to hide guys on defense. They had very good offensive players that on the defensive side of the court, you literally had to hide them or protect them from uh, other teams because they would get targeted on the defensive side of the court. The problem is once you get into the playoffs, teams start to scheme for what you're doing maybe in the regular season and they're able to take you out of those sets. The Jazz, as currently constructed right now, are far from a finished product, but they have pieces. Lowry Markinen is a two-way player. Walker Kessler is a phenomenal defensive player with an emerging offensive game. Ochai Abaji was my quote-unquote draft crush last year. I wanted the Jazz to get into the NBA draft last year simply so they could get Ochai Abaji. And funny enough how things work out, they get him in a trade. I think the Jazz are building something that is going to be far more versatile, far more effective, and have the ability to really go out there and make this quote-unquote new era of the Jazz. It's Team 49 this year, Team 50 next year, the 50th anniversary. They're going to be far more competitive in coming seasons than I think any of us, yours truly included, thought they were going to be coming in to the 2022-2023 season because the way that the Jazz had jettisoned a number of their players, and they obviously moved guys like Rudy Gobert. They moved Royce O'Neal. Quinn Snyder stepped down from his position. You moved Donovan Mitchell. Everything about the deconstruction of that roster said that, okay, this could be a pretty lengthy rebuild. But to the Jazz credit, they found pieces in each of those trades along with acquiring a ton of draft capital that have set themselves up for the next half decade plus of looking like things are looking very positive. Now, could injuries derail that? Yes. Could bad decisions on draft night derail that? Yes. Could just ineffective play from guys you're banking on to derail that. Yes, absolutely. All of that could derail what the Utah Jazz are trying to build here. But the thing I love about the way this Jazz team has gone about their business this year is under a new head coach and Will Hardy, they have just essentially taken on the persona of saying, you know what, people don't expect much of us, so let's just go out there and, and do our thing. Let's go play our game and let the chips fall where they may. And more often than not, the way the Jazz have played this year, they've played cohesively as a unit. They've had starring roles from guys like Larry Mark on any given night, they have surprised everybody, and I mean everybody. 
we ca- we have people come on our radio station, different uh, talking heads with regards to NBA media, and they talk all the time about how good the Jazz have kind of jump-started their rebuild. There is no the process with Philadelphia here with the Jazz. They're not going to go into the tank for four and five years in a row. They have jump-started this, and they already have phenomenal pieces. They, in many minds won the NBA draft without actually even drafting anybody last year. They traded for guys like Walker Kessler and Ochai Abaji in the moves they made in the offseason, remaking this roster, and brought in two of the more, I think, effective rookies coming out of that draft class. Are there guys like Paolo Bancaro that have been phenomenal for Orlando? Sure. He's he's going to be the NBA Rookie of the Year. If he's not, I'll be stunned. But I think Ochai Abaji and Walker Kessler have had all NBA rookie-type seasons, or at least performances, this year for the Utah Jazz. So... Getting back to my original point, last night, yes, it was an absolute just demolition job by Milwaukee coming in here and pounding the Jazz. But the thing I am encouraged by is by every metric, considering the circumstances the Jazz found themselves in coming into the season, this final nine or so games, if they were to go completely in the tank and tell everybody, hey, you've got a hangnail loose that you're going to be sitting out tonight, and they really want to improve their lottery positioning, I'm totally fine with that. This is a team, when it's at full strength, has proven more than capable of competing in the NBA on a game-in and game-out basis. The nice part is now you have draft capital, uh, cap space, they're talking about the salary cap, to go out and add pieces to this roster and build with an already promising core. Ben believes that Lowry Markkinen can truly be the quote-unquote guy for the Utah Jazz. I am hesitant to say that quite yet. He has proven to be a really, really good player. I don't know necessarily in my mind that he's a true number one. If the Jazz can find the Batman to his Robin, or maybe in my mind, the uh, yeah, exactly, the Batman to his Robin, or in Ben's mind, the Robin to his Batman, they could be really, really a, uh, a team that could be a contender in a really short order. You've got to go out and find that, though. Is that going to come via free agency? Is that going to come via the draft? Only time will tell. But the nice part is, at least... In the short term, looking forward here for this Utah Jazz squad, it's very, very positive signs for this team, even though they lost uh, last night. They actually are going to go back into action tonight. They're on the road in Sacramento. Obviously, they got the Kings the other night without Larry Markin. That was actually a very surprising win, uh, I thought, for them to win on their home court against the Kings. The Kings will have a revenge on their mind tonight. They're a team that's trying to get back to the playoffs for the first time in 16 seasons, and they're on their way. They've all but locked up that spot, but... Uh, this will be an interesting game tonight. See how the Jazz respond. Uh, I anticipate the Jazz being undermanned once again tonight. We'll see what happens when the official injury report slash lineups come out later this evening. But it's an 8 o'clock tip out there at, in Sacramento. Uh, looking forward to that one. 7 o'clock pregame here on the KSL Sports Zone. It'll be on 97.5 FM. If you're looking for that on your 1280 dial, it'll be the NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament. All right, so coming up next, uh, we'll get back to more of our regular format here. We'll get to technical fouls and as we say we like to reward people for behaving badly in sports or poorly or just being downright dumb we'll get to all that next this is the saturday show right here on 97.5 fm the ksl sports zone Touch the thermostat. You'll get hit with a blast. Cause that's a technical foul. You will feel my wrath. That's a technical foul. 
Welcome back to the Saturday show right here on the KSL Sports Zone. Time now for technical fouls as we talk about what's going on in the sports world. And uh, so typically March Madness takes our breath away in multiple ways. Big shots, big moments. But on the women's side of things, and Sarah, you brought this up as we were talking in the break, there's two incidents on in the postseason here on the women's basketball side of things that have apparently taken some of the headlines. Fire away. Women are feisty. Apparently, so yes. they can be scrappy, and we'll start with this one. So in the WCW, NCAA women's basketball Correct. tournament, yes. the second round, Texas took on Louisville. And they lost. And afterwards, when they're shaking hands, Mm -hmm. two players kind of got in exchange. Correct. One of the Texas players got in one of the Louisville Louisville players' face and was saying some not nice words, apparently. Yeah. And, yeah, it was just like, come on, don't be a sore loser. Like, we get it. And then the Louisville player in the presser made herself look even better by saying, Um, When asked about it, she's like, I have all the respect in the world for Texas. No hard feelings. Sports can get chippy. Mm -hmm. And the moment you play in the heat and at the end of the day, I'm going to let it go. No hard feelings. I assume they'll do the same. So she made herself look really good there. But it was like, man, come on, Texas. Yeah. Like, Like you said in the break, in the end, it's just a game. You go home. Just go home. You lost fair and square. Yeah, there might have been some words exchanged during the game that weren't great. But like... Just go home, you know? Here's the other thing about this. Let's also acknowledge the fact that emotions run high in sports. That, that's And by the way, the one we're talking about now, in the women's NIT, so the Women's National Invitation Tournament, uh, Memphis women's star Jamira Shoots, she's actually been charged with assault after she appeared to punch a Bowling Green player in a handshake line following a game between the two teams Thursday night. Uh, Bowling, Re- Bowling Green released a statement saying that Shoots, a senior guard who made second-team All-American Athletic Conference, so she's an all-conference player, has been criminally charged. In the handshake line, after uh, the Falcons defeated Memphis 73-60, to uh, Shoots stopped to exchange words with Bowling Green guard Alyssa Brett and appeared to throw a punch, and it sent Brett to the ground. I, I saw the video of it. I, I retweeted it on Twitter, but... The whole like Jeez. the Adam Stanley that's assault, brother. That the she's been criminally charged, and I'm not going to say it. okay. I should say this probably for good reason. You don't do that. Yeah, you 100%. cross the line. You cross the line. Yeah, what you're talking about. Okay, there's John back and forth, and she said, "Hey, emotions ran high and whatnot." Now, when you cross the line and throw a sucker punch, yeah, control yourself. Come on. Yeah, that's a whole different deal, and. This is a pretty high-profile player. Speaking of the, like I said, a second-team all-conference player throwing a punch like that, that's a really, really bad deal. He might and, be in the wrong sport. Yeah, so Bowling Green, good point. Very good point. Uh, yeah, so Bowling Green is uh, conducting its own review. Uh, they obviously are looking into this, but, yeah, uh, charged with assault. That's never uh, what you want to see in uh, women's hoops. Who knew? Maybe take up boxing. MMA and such are apparently breaking out in, in women's hoops. All right, we got one other thing I want to talk about here. Sarah, do you have any other ones? 
Okay. There are so many things that happened, and I should have written them down because I was like, man, this would be perfect for this segment. Well, this is what I want to talk about because this one just – it makes me chuckle, but it's also kind of stupid in the same way. Of course, Major League Baseball wants to speed up games. They've done the pitch clock, and they reiter- they issued some new, I guess, what you call them, clarifications, what the rule entails and whatnot. <laughs> Well, apparently, the memo that came out it has a provision in it now for Bat Boys and Bat Girls. Quote, new standards will be enforced for Bat Boys and Bat Girls whose ability to quickly retrieve equipment will help us efforts to speed up the game, according to the memo. The league will evaluate the performances of Bat Boys and Bat Girls and could ask teams to replace them if their performance is considered substandard, unquote. You're basically a part of the team at this point. Okay, do you make Run millions of dollars? Yeah, well, okay, and so Patrick Kinahan, who I work with, when we were talking about this on DJ and PK, he was actually at spring training games last weekend and said that he had never seen Bat Boys and Bat Girls like move as fast as they were. They were sprinting and going. He's like, and he didn't, and then he said after the game, he saw this story come out. He's like, okay, it makes more sense. They've been put on notice. But here's the thing these are. 14-year-olds that are having fun, living their dream, associating with baseball players. Yeah, (laughs) Too much. Rob Manfred, come on, man. Like, I actually like the pitch clock. I like the fact they're speeding baseball games up. It's up, I think, it's faster, like 30 minutes almost in spring training right now. I do wonder once we actually get to opening day later this week, what's going to happen, how much faster it will be. This, though, seems like a step too far. Yeah. Like, come on. That's are- like such a minuscule thing. Like, there's so many other parts of baseball that you could probably change to speed up the game, and this is the one you choose? Are you going to Are you gonna have, uh, like, combines for the Bat Boys and Bat Girls, having to run the 60, they, they do, like, a 60-yard dash, or 60, yeah, 60-yard dash in baseball, like, to test speed for prospects in Major League Baseball, as I recall it? Are they going to have these Bat Boys and Bat Girls do that? Like, are we going to evaluating, like, okay— you got on the first scoop. You you ran, grabbed that uh, that bat, and got off the field. Way to go! Like this to me is just I don't know. It's just it, like why? As you said, Sarah, why is this the thing that? And they've targeted other things. This one though seems a bit too far. Yeah, a little out there for sure. Like they're like so nitpicky. They're twelve, fourteen, fifteen year. Like come on, we can we can speed the game up. But we also don't need to be evaluating the performance of your bat boys and your bat girls. Now, if they're literally hoofing it. Walking. And, yeah. Like, I'm going to take it. Okay. That's another thing. But you don't need to be like, all right, if you don't dead sprint to and get, get that bat and sprint out to second base and grab that, uh, the what do they call them? The, what is it, that pad? The padding. The, yeah, the padding on their arm, like the, yeah. the body armor that they wear now these days. If you don't sprint the 180 out. Okay, we can if they're they're moving, if they're jogging, we can we can make do. We don't need to be potentially telling them, hey, by the way, that little gig you've been enjoying, like yeah, it's gonna be taken away if you don't if you don't if you don't get after it today. Yeah, I wish they had the bat dogs like they do in the minor leagues. They're so be, cute. That'd be pretty fun too. I don't know. One of those I things. mean that's distracting, but I'm a big fan of the bat dogs. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's one of those interesting things, but it's that one I chuckled at this week. I'm like, of all the things, and I, I, I will give MLB credit. They're considering all options, but to put these kids on, like, I don't know, notice, being like, hey, by the way, if you if you, you, you don't get after it here, your job is up for review now. As you said, Sarah, now they're a member of the roster? Like, is that what we're going after here? 
I don't know. All right. We'll take a time out. We'll come back on the other side. Uh, Michelle Bodkin will check in with us. She has been in Greenville, South Carolina, covering the University of Utah women's basketball program and their run in the NCAA tournament. Brutal loss for the Utes yesterday as they fall uh, to LSU. We'll talk with Michelle about that and a few other things, spring ball included. Coming up next, right here on the Saturday Show. Welcome back to the Saturday show right here on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. Jay Catch along for the ride this morning. And we're bringing in my typical co-host. She's usually sitting just a few feet away from me, but she's actually thousands of miles away this morning. Uh, joining us from Greenville, South Carolina, she is Michelle Bodkin, the Utah Utes insider for KSLsports.com. Michelle, how are you? Hey, Jake, I'm doing really well. I'm actually enjoying some sunshine and warm right don't, now. Don't, it's pretty don't, great. Don't say that because that, it's, it's – <laughs> it, it, let's put it this way. You're coming home to what I, I lovingly term smart when you get back here. I'm just saying that. Oh, yeah. No, I'm I'm well aware. I, <laughs> I, I My mom sent me pictures. It was great. <laughs> yeah, I've seen pictures. BYU baseball has a home series today. They're supposed to play a doubleheader, Michelle. And Tom Homo, their athletic director, had to put out on social media, hey, if you have a shovel and want to help, can you come help shovel our field? So I actually saw that tweet. <laughs> okay. That's really funny. Yeah, I actually did see that. <laughs> so that's, that's how things are going here. But you're down there in South Carolina. Uh, Let's put it this way, a brutal loss for Utah, especially in the manner it came. Uh, But to their credit, it was a back-and-forth affair against LSU. Uh, Give me kind of your overall thoughts on that performance yesterday for the Utes. Yeah, I mean, overall, I don't think it's anything to hang your head over. Uh, You know, that that was one of those games. Somebody has to win and somebody has to lose, and whoever was on the losing side of it, it was going to be a heartbreaker because both teams kept going back and forth. They kept matching and trading each other's blows, and uh, you just kind of knew, you know, again, whoever came up on the losing end of that game, it was was going to be a soul-crushing loss for whoever, and it just happened to be Utah this go-around. Yeah, and the manner it came, obviously, the missed free throws are going to take this, going to kind of dominate the headlines, obviously, as you, as you're well aware. But I, I got to give Utah credit because they were down ten with what was it, four or five minutes to go, and they rallied to get themselves right back into it. So you're right; it was it, either way, whoever was going to lose was going to feel down about it. But it feels like overall, it's been a fairly successful season for Utah, all things considered, and also when you consider the fact that the vast majority, if not all, of that lineup should be back next year. Yeah, I mean, that's the great news. This is a young team, uh, and I think, you know, it's it's one of those things in a lot of ways you don't know what you don't know. I, I, I think it's sometimes hard to forget Jenna Johnson's a sophomore. Mm-hmm. You know, she's 19 years old and a sophomore, so she's only into or, into or has just finished her second season of playing basketball. So, you know, this team's kind of in, in a position where, I think they've gone where they've gone because they're incredibly talented uh, and they have a lot to work with. But until you're kind of in those situations and you know and you understand what it is, you know, that that's kind of, I think, a lot of times the cases when teams like that will come up short. And so the fact that everybody does return and, and not only are they returning and they're talented, but they're returning, they're talented, and they're learning as they go. And, and they're picking up information that's going to make them better 
as they go along, I think. And and so that's a really exciting development for this Utah team. Uh, is, you know, they're they're mostly going to be juniors next year. Uh, so they're I think they're going to finally kind of be in that place where maybe they, they've they seen everything they kind of need to see. There's not going to be things that are shocking to them. And, uh, you know, I, I expect them probably to, to be right back in this thing again next year. Now, you brought this up, I believe, last week, maybe the week previous to that. You said you had concern that Utah, when they went up against, uh, quote-unquote, bigger teams, like taller, lengthier teams, they were going to struggle. And I felt that that came to the forefront last night against, uh, yeah, I guess yesterday afternoon, I guess I should say, against LSU. Would you agree with that assessment? Yeah, I, I think there were times where they kind of struggled with LSU's length. Uh, again, you know, I, it's so easy to point out that Jenna Johnson missed those two free throws. Yeah. But what she did do all game long was keep Angel Reese in check, mm-hmm. uh, and she did a great job of it. Uh, so, and that's not an easy task or ask. But uh, whenever Jenna was kind of out of that lineup, and Angel was allowed to kind of do what it is she does, you know, that I think that's kind of when Utah would fall behind a little bit and have to play catch up. So. They, I, I think they still need to work on, you know, getting some length into the program. It sounds like their two freshmen that they'll be bringing in next year will help address that a little bit. Uh, hopefully, Pey- Peyton McFarlane, you know, is a little further along. She's six foot four, um, you know, and there's a couple of other girls that are, you know, just haven't been quite ready yet to maybe take on a larger role. And so you hope that next season they are ready and and maybe can go out on the court and help address some of that going forward. Obviously, what Lynn Roberts has done has been a pretty remarkable transformation. It's not too long ago that there were people wondering if she was going to obviously lose her job because they were just they were near the bottom of the conference, but now they're near the top of it. And as you mentioned, they expected to compete again next year. But that attention obviously is going to have programs sniffing around potentially for Lynn Roberts. Do you get the sense that she is locked in with Utah? Or will she maybe entertain offers from maybe a quote-unquote bigger program out there? You know, that's a great question. The sense I personally get from Lynn, uh, and this is the thing, right, is mm-hmm. nobody knows except for the person yeah, that it exactly. actually involves. But, but the, the vibe I get from her is that she understands that she's in a great place, uh, a place where she will get – if she can – get the team to win, which she has now done, uh, that it will get the support from the athletic department. It will get the support from the community. Uh, and and especially when you're the coach of a women's sport, that's not always the case. Yeah. And, and she's talked many times about, you know, part of when she applied for the job, the first thing she looked at was how successful the Red Rocks have been. Uh, the fact that they draw big crowds week in and week out, the fact that the athletic department markets them and supports them and and gets them out there so that people are aware that they exist uh, and and helps get them the resources. And like I said, I don't think every athletic department cares that much about their women's sports, and I don't think every community cares that much about their women's sports. And so when you kind of know that you have a good foundation to work with as long as you can produce a good product – I think that's a hard thing to try and leave because there's a lot of places where it's not going to matter how good you are. It could still be a very big uphill battle. So I kind of think Lynn is very invested in being here uh, and staying for the long haul, but we'll just kind of see. I, I don't know what might constitute as being a better better job and a better situation for her. 
Talking with Michelle Bodkin, of course, Utah Utes insider for KSLSports.com. She's in Greenville, South Carolina. She was covering the Utah women as their run in the Sweet 16 came to an end yesterday. Uh, Michelle, now, obviously, with this program and also the men's basketball program at Utah, the th- this was a, a university, and you, you know this as well as I do, that once upon a time, basketball dominated in terms of fan mm-hmm. interest. Do you think that the women's basketball team and the men's basketball team can regain some of that luster they once had? and Or is football just kind of just way, way too far out in front and they're just going to continue to dominate in terms of the fan interest? You know, I, I think there's a hunger for basketball. That's, if you ask a lot of Utah fans, their fandom of Utah started mm-hmm. with the Utah basketball team. Uh, it didn't start with football. It didn't start with gymnastics. It, it, you know, it didn't start with some of these other sports that are doing really, really well. It started with basketball. Basketball was their thing. Basketball is what made them fall in love with the school and with the athletic program. And so I think, I think there is a hunger there. And to be perfectly honest, I think the crowds got bigger and bigger as the year went on for the women's team, partially because they were able to help satisfy that hunger. Uh, it's been a while since the men's team, well, really either team has made a deep run in March. And, and so I, I think there's excitement there and I think there's positivity there. The men's team, it's, it's going to be a big work in progress and there's a lot of things working against them. And it's not, it's not Craig Smith per se. Mm -hmm. It's, it's just what the state of college basketball has turned into that it's a different time. And to be behind when things have shifted over so drastically, I, I think it's a big ask to try and get anyone really in there and, and turning that thing around the way that I know fans want. Now, you mentioned Craig Smith and the kind of the standing of men's basketball. The transfer portal is just it, – it's flying right now. I, I think it's how Verbal Commits, one of the websites that covers it. Yesterday they listed – I think they had 940 names uh, across the, uh, the Division One ranks in terms of transfer portal entrance. Uh, Lazar Stefanovic, to me, is the big surprise for Utah entering his name into the transfer portal. We also learned that uh, – Brandon Carlson's going to test the NBA draft waters but keep his eligibility option available to him. Uh, do you feel like that's just kind of par for the course right now with what college basketball and, in this case, the running Utes are dealing with? I, I kind of think it is. Uh, you know, to me, I, two of the biggest issues in college basketball are that guys are able to come and go, you know, quick and, and however they want to, really. I mean, with the transfer portal – and with the NBA only requiring you to play a single season of college basketball before you declare, uh, it just doesn't leave a lot of room for teams to develop team chemistry and to keep guys around and try and build, you know, build something. Mm-hmm. It's it's just it's very superficial uh, in my mind, and I I think, you know, if if people want men's college basketball to be particularly watchable in the future. I I think some things need to be put in place with the transfer portal. And I think you maybe need to change, you know, what the rule is as far as declaring for the NBA draft as well. Uh, You got to keep the talent there for a little while in order to have a good product. Uh, And, you know, especially when you're a team, I think like Utah, they've been down for a little while the buildup is always hard. And then on top of that, you know, fans maybe aren't willing to dish out the type of NIL money that's also required to keep a good team intact or bring a good team in, even for just a season, uh, because they they want to know the 
their money is going to go to winning, and it it's a kind of a crapshoot at this point. So uh, there's just a lot of things, I think, working against Utah, just working against college basketball in general. Yeah, I I think you nailed it. It's just it's it's a it's a sport wide epidemic in a way. And we, I was on with I was obviously filling in for Jake Scott yesterday with Ben Anderson. We talked after we had you on. We got to the conversation about potentially the change of the NBA draft rules with regards to guys being able to go straight out of high school. And I'm of the opinion. I'll I'll get your thought on this, Michelle. Just philosophically, if they're going to lower the draft age to 18 and let guys from high school jump right away, I hope. And this is just me speaking, I hope that college basketball implements a rule that if you go to college, you're there for two years. Something like that. So, Like you mentioned, you hopefully can build a little more of a quote-unquote team philosophy rather than having guys there for one, two, three, four. It, it, they can leave whenever they want. Build a little bit more yeah. of a team dynamic. Yeah. Uh, again, so, something needs to be done. Yeah. It's, it's just too loosey-goosey. It's too free-flowing. Um, there's a reason why there's only like a handful of teams that I think are even worth watching to be very frank. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the rest of them are just kind of okay at best. <laughs> yeah. uh, and it's, it's, it's because it's, it's again, it's just, it's a free flow. It's a sieve. Uh, and you got to figure out how to turn the sieve off. I don't think having high school kids go immediately to the NBA is a great idea. I think it's a horrible idea, honestly, I mean, yes, there's some guys that are kind of built and ready and developed to do that and make mm-hmm. that jump. But there's a lot of guys that, you know, frankly, are going to get knocked on their you-know-what and <laughs> probably wash out and, and not ever do what they maybe could do if they spent time in college and got developed or even went to, a, like, more of a minor league and, and worked on developing their body and, and their just ability to play the game, uh, their understanding of the game. It's just... It, High school is just a different kind of animal, and I, I just don't know that these kids are really going to be ready for what the NBA requires of of their players. Yeah, I think there's absolutely that conversation to be had. All right, uh, Michelle, how's your bracket doing? Oh, I think my bracket's like totally done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I I think it RIP'd. Oh, I don't know, like halfway maybe like the beginning of last week. Okay, yeah. Fair enough. Hey, who did you have winning, by the way? Who'd you have winning it at all? Uh, I had Marquette. I'm okay. not actually even sure if they're still in it or not. No, Marquette's out. So, but see, <laughs> okay, yeah, so, my, yeah. Mine officially got, like, I went RIP yesterday for me because I had Alabama and Houston squaring off in the national championship, and, yeah, as luck would have it, both of them got knocked out yesterday. We have no number one seeds left. It's crazy. Only one two seed in Texas. That is, I mean, but that's, that's kind of why we watch, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. It's the madness. <laughs> we want to see the madness. All right, uh, talking with Michelle Bodkin here, obviously co-host of this show and also covering Utah extensively for kslsports.com. Michelle, last thing before we let you go, I want to talk a little Utah spring football. Uh, you and I were out there for the first day of drills. Uh, they are kind of plodding their way through this right now. What is the biggest storyline in your mind for spring ball for Utah at, at this point now that we've already started it? Yeah, uh, for me, it's it's who's going to be QB two, okay. and it's for for me, it's because it it goes way beyond even you know who backs up Cam this year, or who potentially starts the year. Mm-hmm. It's you know, I I think right now Utah is in a prime position to figure out what their future is going to be without Cam Rising, and and if they do it right, they could go into next year feeling pretty good about that situation. 
Uh, but it starts now. It starts here and now in spring ball. You got to figure out who that guy is, uh, and you got to get him as many reps as, as you can and have him be as prepared as possible. Now, you're, you're right. I agree with you because it, it does set up essentially the succession plan for quarterback. Do you have any concern that whoever may or may not win that battle in spring ball, if they do to declare a winner, could transfer? I mean, it's always a possibility, right? Like, we just live in a very <laughs> instant gratification type of situation in society. And if a guy feels like he's good enough, he does have the option to transfer somewhere else and, and test those waters. Um, and you can't necessarily blame them, especially if it is an option and they're not going to get penalized for it. But uh, it's just... Not quite the way that college basketball has gone, but kind of all men's sports for the most part. There, there's very little patience in, in waiting your turn and trying to develop under a team. It's where where is my path to play the fastest and quickest and be the star? And uh, so it's yes, it's it's entirely possible. I don't know that it will necessarily hurt Utah per se. I I think they have enough guys as long as cam does come back on time and is healthy and and that might be a case of you go and you get a transfer portal quarterback um obviously hopefully you're not getting that guy with the intention of having him play because i just don't think that works Mm -hmm. at least not in a single year kind of turnaround situation but uh, I, I think there's ways to address that and, and make sure that you're still covered if, if someone happens to feel like they need to leave and go elsewhere. All right, Michelle, uh, I don't know how much time you've had to really explore Greenville, but have you had any good food while you've been there so far? I have had some good food. I actually just barely finished up brunch, and I've been walking around downtown, okay. uh, just kind of checking it out a little bit. But it was a little French bistro, and I had a veggie omelet in this uh Gosh, uh, crusted goat cheese with blueberry jam and, or blueberry and lavender jam. It was fantastic. So good. Wow, that actually sounds delicious. I'm not going to lie. Like, uh, props to you. Yeah. Have you had, here's the thing. What does Greenville have? Like, did you look up much the, before you got down there? Or is this essentially you just kind of wandering around and finding spots? This was just me wandering around, and I, I found a spot kind of close by to me. It looked nice. It had a nice outdoor space. Okay. So, you know, I, I'm just like, I'm going to enjoy outside as much as I can until I have to go back to Salt Lake. <laughs> All right. Well, you soak up that sun for us here. Sarah and I will be very jealous, but thank you for carving out some time for us and safe travels back to Salt Lake City. All right? Oh, yeah. No problem. We'll see you guys soon. There you go. Michelle Bodkin, of course, a Utah Utes insider for KSLSports.com and co-host of this fine program right here on the KSL Sports Zone. Big thank you to her for taking the time and great work as always. Just props to her. She does really good stuff for KSLSports.com and great coverage of yesterday's game for the Utah Utes in the NCAA tournament. All right. We will take a time out here. We'll come back. We get to five minutes up. We got a number of topics to cover. Um, Utah State, their head coach in basketball is a hot ticket item, similar to Lynn Roberts. Uh, what's happening there? We'll talk about some of the rumors involving that. We got RSL in action tonight. We'll talk about their matchup with St. Louis City FC and a whole lot more. This is the Saturday show right here on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone.
Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the KSL Sports Zone. Hope you all are doing well on the Saturday up and down the Wasatch Front or wherever you might be tuning in from via the KSL Sports app. You can stream us literally anywhere. It's one of those fun things uh, that modern technology is giving you the opportunity to do is you can check out this show wherever you might be, even overseas. If you've got an internet connection and you have a smartphone, you can tune in. So thank you for your support as always. All right, time for five minutes of on today's show. we got a number of topics to talk about. I want to start off with one up at Utah State. Obviously, we just talked with Michelle Bodkin about uh, Lynn Roberts. And when you have success as a college basketball coach, other programs are going to start sniffing around. Obviously, that's just it's kind of the nature of the beast. Higher profile programs with bigger budgets want good coaches. They are willing to pay for that. But as David James points out, and there's been rumors of this, DJ tweets this out. It's good to be wanted. South Florida has had serious conversations with USU men's basketball coach Ryan Odom. The Aggies, speaking of Utah State, have a new and improved contract in front of him. Now we wait. It seems like things should move quickly, but there are no guarantees. He also adds this. Odom is hot right now. Good year at USU, but he might be able to get an even better job in a year. Utah State should attract interest if slash when Odom leaves. Three recent coaches have won. One stayed, one left for a Power 5 job. And that's kind of the question. Question now, does Ryan Odom want to wait for a potential opportunity? I would call it actually the Power Six in college basketball because the Big East is one of the true power conferences in the college hoops realm. But there is an argument to be made that Ryan Odom has been an East Coast guy. He has been a guy who has spent the majority of his coaching career on the East Coast. Of course, his father was famous for having his run at Wake Forest, including having Tim Duncan play for him. He grew up on the East Coast. He's associated with coaches back there. He came from UMBC, which was the first 16 seed to upset Virginia, as we all recall. Uh, was it was five years ago now. They pulled that legendary upset in the NCAA men's basketball tournament. This is a guy who has got his roots in the eastern side of the United States. He came west, has had a good run, no doubt about that. He's had a good run with Utah State. Could it be time for him, as he feels, to go back to USF and go to the American Athletic Conference in what I think many would perceive to be a lateral move because the Mountain West is on par, in my mind, with what the AAC has to offer. But there is arguments to me that people are more comfortable in different regions of the country, and that's what they want to do. Now, let's also acknowledge the athletic director that hired him is no longer at the helm of Utah State Athletics. They are still operating with an interim AD. It's former Weber State Athletic Director Jerry Bovey. Uh, this is my personal opinion. I think that Jerry Bovey should be the guy that gets the permanent uh, slot there as the athletic director for the Aggies, but that's still to be determined. Uh, if it comes down to it, Ryan, Ryan Odom does decide that USF is where he wants to be, it'll come upon Jerry Bovey to go out there and find a new head coach. They also will have a new university president as well, whoever, whether it's Ryan Odom or a new coach to answer to. Because as I understand it, Noel Cockett, uh, the university president at Utah State, is set to step down from her position this summer as well. So there's a lot of change happening up there in Logan. And it's not a bad thing, per se. Because like I mentioned, when you have a coach the caliber of Ryan Odom, you're going to win. And when you win, programs, like I said, with deeper pockets, bigger budgets, are going to want you. The thing about this also is, is I understand it, Ryan Odom is making, it's, I think, $800,000. You could look that up. It's public record because he works for a, a land-grant institution. It's, you can go find the numbers. He's making good money as a coach at Utah State coaching basketball. How much more is USF willing to pay him? And how much more is Utah State willing to sweeten the pot to keep him to stay? 
That's going to be the interesting debate here, and I, I, I am interested to see where it, it pans out. But as DJ says, he says, it seems like things should move quickly, but there are no guarantees on this. I, You do everything you can if you're Utah State to keep Ryan Odom in the fold. I honestly think that this would be, perception-wise, a lateral move, but at the same time, if you're more comfortable on the East Coast, I can understand that. Why you would want to consider potentially going back to, I guess, your quote-unquote roots. I know that USF is different than Baltimore County, Maryland, but it's still the East Coast. It's a, it's maybe a place that you feel more comfortable, and we'll see what happens. I'm with DJ. We should see a fairly quick resolution on this, whether it is that Ryan Odom is going to be the new head coach of the USF Bulls, or if he's going to make the jump, or not, excuse me, not he'll make the jump to USF, or if he's going to stay put in Logan and make another run at it next year and as DJ points out maybe get an opportunity to power six job if you can run it back for another season that you gotta weigh that and that's the tough part as a, as a coach is you want to stri- strike while the iron is hot to get job or a, to get jobs or a job that you've always wanted to get but if you wait too long at the same time you run the risk of having things fall off and all of a sudden what was you want were once that hot commodity and then suddenly you're no longer you're kind of old hat in a way and you gotta you're looking to make good on where you're at stay in the good graces of the athletic administration where you're currently at and kind of re reboost that image but it's a very interesting time for utah state athletics we'll see what happens there they also uh speaking of utah state let's acknowledge this for a moment here uh utah state had a football player collapse uh during practice yes uh, not, excuse me, not yesterday Two days ago, uh, my apologies for misspeaking on that. A very scary situation. Sarah, did you did you see this? By the way, see the video of this. Like this is one of those things that just absolutely is terrifying. As a coach, as a parent, anybody, you never want to see this. We saw this in the NFL with Monday Night Football, and it's just you're like, oh boy, you, n- you never want to see yeah, that. Yeah, I was I was like, oh no, is this another Demar Hamlin situation? Yep. What's going on? Because it was it was very scary. Yeah. So uh, so Josh Davis is the player. We found out uh, yesterday he was taken to Logan Region Hospital. Uh, he was uh, taken care of on the on the field there at Maverick Stadium, then transferred to Logan Region Hospital, and then was transferred to McKay D Hospital in Ogden. Uh, Scott Gerard, our our boss here at the KSL Sports Zone, uh, got an update from Blake Anderson, the head coach of the Aggies, saying, "Quote: Awake, alert, and breathing on his own. The training staff absolutely saved his life. No hesitation at all." A miracle, and our best wishes go out to Josh Davis. Uh, the report, the statement from Utah State said that they uh, used uh, what they called therapeutic hypothermia to keep his neurological uh, function intact. This is a terrifying deal, and it was a non-traumatic cardiac episode. Does it knock over my water bottle? I'll live on air. Uh, you, you, those are the things that you never can plan for stuff like this, but it's also it's just like what what happened and that that that's the scary part but our best wishes go out to him yeah super scary and i i it's weird that we're seeing this more and more is that just cuz of media now is like has more access than they used to it but could. man it's just What's going on? It, it, it is a different era because everybody has a smartphone now and everybody has access to Twitter and social media. So you can get stuff out there in literally seconds. It, it's out there. So let me get the quote here from Utah State, the official update. Quote, Davis, retro freshman wide receiver from Carlsbad, California, collapsed during practice on Thursday and was immediately treated by USU's athletic training staff led by Mike Williams, associate athletic director for sports medicine, followed by emergency medical personnel who transported him to Logan Regional Hospital. 
Davis received initial uh, critical treatment and was stabilized at Logan Regional Hospital before being transported to McKay D Hospital, which McKay D Hospital is in Ogden, for those of you who don't know, uh, where their critical care team continued treatment with therapeutic hypothermia to lower the body temperature to preserve his neurological function. Now, this is the, now we're getting to the positive part of this. Davis' parent, Davis's parents, Matt and Chrissy, arrived in Utah Thursday evening, were met by University of, not University of Utah, Utah State uh, uh, personnel, interim athletics director Jerry Bovey, head coach Blake Anderson, uh, team physician Dr. David G. Little, and athletic trainer Kendrick Gilmore. But they said that uh, he has been upgraded to fair condition from what was an ICU stay for him. So, like I said, uh, scary, scary scenes for Utah State on the football side of things, but very positive to hear that Davis is uh, in fair condition versus still being in intensive care. So, Props to the athletic training staff. That That's a situation that they train for probably often. They never, I'm honestly probably, they never want to actually have to, the, to roll it out and have to do it. But to their credit, they were ready in the moment. So props uh, to Utah State on handling that. So interesting times up there in Logan. Now, let's also talk a little about RSL. Uh, tonight, Real Salt Lake comes off of a bye week last week. They're going to be hosting St. Louis City SC. Now, St. Louis City is a new team in Major League Soccer, but they're not playing like an expansion team. They are 4-0 to start their uh, campaign in their first uh, season in Major League Soccer. And the, as DJ mentioned yesterday, they are scoring goals in bunches. This is going to be an interesting matchup for them as they come up to elevation in what should be a fairly chilly weather. I'm actually going to pull this up right now and get the weather report uh, for you guys. They're coming to uh, to Sandy. It'll be an interesting deal. And I'm going to be out there uh, covering this. The high today is supposed to be a high of 37 degrees. There's been snow in the forecast. Uh, I think it's actually passes by mostly, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, 7 o'clock, there's a chance for some wintry mix, but I don't expect that necessarily to impact tonight's game. Mostly cloudy, uh, supposed to be sitting in the mid-30s. This is going to be a test for St. Louis SC just weather-wise. I am also interested to see how Utah State responds to uh, no, you test it. Man, I'm getting all over the place. How Real Salt Lake responds after they open their season with a 2-1 win in uh, Vancouver, but have since suffered back-to-back losses to start the season. Now, we've talked about this. I am lucky enough to do the pre-half and post-game shows for Real Salt Lake on a weekly basis here on the KSL Sports Zone, your new broadcast home for Real Salt Lake broad, uh, games. We talked about this. that We don't think that the roster for Real Salt Lake is, is fully Set. We still are expecting them to make a move potentially at forward. Uh, we heard Pablo Mastroeni uh, talk to the media during their last postgame press conference about the need to have a true destroyer, what they call a number six in soccer, a guy who can really uh, break up play from opposing teams and get the possession back for your team, get get your team the ball. They don't necessarily have that. They haven't necessarily had that in the lineup so far this year. And on the roster, it doesn't look like they they have a ready made. Uh, number six in the wings, the quote-unquote Kyle Beckerman out there. That's the guy that was uh, RSL's backbone for so many years as that number six. And interesting matchup tonight because, like I said, it's a high-flying St. Louis team coming in here. Can the weather and the elevation slow them down a bit? And can uh, RSL respond after that bye week and back-to-back losses and have a more positive uh, performance? It'd be interesting to see if they can do that because it's been – it's been an interesting start to the season for Real Salt Lake. Really disjointed. It feels like at times uh, when your best defender on your roster, in some people's minds, Justin Glad, is your leading goal scorer for the season. 
there's a little it's a little things a little bit uh, mixed up. And Sarah, I know that you have a soccer background. Defenders aren't supposed to be your leading scorer. No, no, that's <laughs> not normal. <laughs> But here's the thing. Justin Glad, he's been phenomenal. He's a great, great young man. He's actually not a young man anymore. He's he's like kind of one of the, the the older dudes on this roster. But, yeah, when he is your leading goal scorer on the season, means your forward pack and your midfielders need to get in on the action a little bit more. Yeah, good for him. But also, what is the rest of the team doing? Come on. Missing opportunities, apparently. And that's, that's the other thing about this with the Real Salt Lake right now. Is when they're playing, it almost feels like in a way that they um, their link up play. I guess the easiest way to say it, like getting the ball from the back end to the front end, it's it's struggle. And the midfield has been the, that's the linchpin that's supposed to keep everything flowing, keep play moving, get the ball from the back line up to your forwards. It's really, really been lacking for Real Salt Lake, and we'll see what happens. I I look at what uh, St. Louis City is doing, and I'm absolutely amazed by it. They have come in, they put together a phenomenal roster, and for an expansion team to be 4-0 and on the season, like you don't see that very often in professional sports. But Major League Soccer, it's actually becoming more and more of a common thing uh, to see teams like this get that opportunity because they're allowed as ownership groups now to come in in Major League Soccer and spend big money. If you've got the pocketbook, you can come in and sign players. They have brought in a number of players. Klaus, uh, their star forward, is from Brazil. Uh, he is everything. It's the guy that RSL wants to have as a forward. He's 6'3". He's built like a Mack truck, can run like a gazelle, and score, scores goals like they're nothing. That's what RSL's looking for. The problem is they haven't been able to find that yet. We'll see if they're able to because there have been rumors out there that they've been looking high and low to find a true number nine uh, to come in. Uh, but we'll, I don't know. I I, I want to think that they can respond in a positive fashion, speaking of RSL, but the first three games have me concerned that midfield is going to be a season-long issue unless they address it in the transfer portal. We'll find out. All right, final thing uh, before we go in this segment of today's show is on the NCAA men's basketball front. Now, the NCAA tournament has been absolutely thrilling. I've enjoyed it. Sarah, as your bracket, I asked Michelle, is your bracket? Oh, no, you didn't. We're going to out Sarah for just a second here. Folks, we have this KSL bracket challenge, bracket mayhem challenge we did. DJ didn't do one, and he's, he's like, oh. Sarah, well, you had some other things going on, but you did not fill one out as well, so shame on you. I had full intentions of doing so, and by the time I realized time was running out and I did not make it in time. Fair enough. But uh, how have you enjoyed the tournament overall, though? It's been fun, and yeah, I've been watching... I feel like I, I've been paid to watch more than I normally do. I feel like I watch... Doing the social media you do yeah, for Pac-12. for Pac-12. Yeah. So I watch it occasionally before this year. Mm-hmm. And so this year it's been fun to kind of get a little more involved with it. And yeah, it's my favorite time of like basketball season. Mm-hmm. When I was young, this is what I watched was March Madness. I didn't really watch basketball outside of March Madness. Okay. So it's been fun, and it has not disappointed with how crazy it is. And even, like, women's. Yeah. The women's side has been so insane, and I didn't really watch women's basketball much ever until now. <laughs> so sure. well, it's, it's been fun to watch. Yeah, Stanford, for example, one of the behemoths in women's basketball got knocked out like by Ole Miss. It was a major, major upset on Stanford's home court. 
Yeah. No less. Yeah, it was rough. <laughs> I know you were probably doing that for Pac-12. That was that was a stunner to me. Yeah. I, I was lucky enough they sent me last year to cover the Utah women in the Pac-12 tournament. They went up against that Stanford team, and I was like, oh my goodness, this Stanford team is unstoppable. They have they have the length, the the athleticism, the shooting. They've got Tara Vanderveer has got everything she needs at Stanford, and for them to get knocked out in the round of 32 was a surprise. You're right. It's been it's truly been the madness. It's been on both sides of the brackets. Yeah, I saw it, there was like one bracket out of 20 million that was able to guess the Elite Eight for men's basketball. <laughs> Only one. Well, I can tell you this much. I'm looking at mine right now, and I've got a bunch of red lines through a bunch of my Elite Eight. Yeah. My Final Four is done. I, I had Alabama, Duke, Houston, and Kansas. Two of those didn't make it out of the first weekend. And by the way, yesterday, my national championship teams, Alabama and Houston, both gone. So. Yeah. Crazy, crazy times. By the way, did you see on the one side of the bracket here, uh, the national championship game will feature one of this group, San Diego State, Creighton, uh, FAU, or Kansas State. One of those four teams is going to play for a national title next weekend. Yeah, I also saw another stat that said this is the first time since they started doing seeding, Mm -hmm. like in the 70s, I think. 1970s, yeah. And this is the first time a one seed isn't in the Elite Eight. We only got one two seed left. It's Texas. It's crazy. Like, Texas has got to be thinking, this is our chance. We're going to do it. We're going to win it all. Because they've actually never won a uh, men's basketball title. They got a chance here. But you also, if you're San Diego State, if you're Creighton, heck, if you're FAU, you're thinking, guys, we've got a chance. Yeah, here. there's an opportunity. I'm always rooting for the underdogs. So I was rooting for Xavier. They got knocked out. Okay. But I'm, you know, I want an underdog to win. Yeah, so we got Miami, Texas on the other side, and also UConn, Gonzaga. I think a lot of teams, uh, a lot of folks here locally probably have a little, I want to say soft spot, but they're rooting a little bit more for Gonzaga here. We'll see what happens. It, it should be an interesting run here because you've got a three, a four, a three, a nine, a five, a six, and a five, and a two. Those are your final eight teams on the men's side. Crazy, crazy times. All right. We'll come back on the other side, get some final thoughts as you wrap up this edition of the Saturday Show. Uh, you're tuned in to the KSL Sports Zone right here on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. Welcome back to the Saturday show. It's been a nice, eclectic mix of music this week. What's been the inspiration this week, Sarah? It's David Bowie. Okay. It's I, a I David think... Bowie day. Oh, I probably should have put that together earlier. That's my Yeah, bad. yeah. Okay. No, it's okay. Because he has, right. like, a lot of different sounds. Well, yeah, David Bowie so. all over the map. Yeah. So it does feel I didn't know a you were a David eclectic. Bowie fan. You know, I sometimes I take a song and I uh, let okay. that decide... Okay. The music for today. So Under Pressure was the first song we played, and sure. that kind of Fair took enough. off into the rest of it. All right. David Bowie, man. What a unique individual, by the way. <laughs> he's he's one of those guys. I don't know if I'll ever be able to – I don't know anybody will ever fully understand David Bowie as a human being. But nonetheless, uh, thank you for joining us here on the KSL Sports Zone. Rounding things out on this edition of the Saturday Show and – 
got a couple of things I wanted to pass along before we go. Uh, first off, I want to say this once again. Uh, Steve Klauke has been a mainstay, obviously, on the Utah sports radio scene for nearly three decades. He announced yesterday that he will retire from his role as the play-by-play voice of the Salt Lake Bees uh, at the end of this season. He has won Utah Sportscaster Year three times. He's been working with the Bees since 1994, then known as the Buzz. He also called the Stingers games. And then when they became the Bees under uh, the Miller organization's uh, rebrand, he's called more than four thousand games folks he's been all over this country calling games with the bees he's been just an absolutely incredible pillar of our community uh steve i'm going to say it once i'll say it again on air thank you for all of your just great work over the years this is a guy in my opinion speaking of clowkey that deserved to be at the major league level but we were lucky enough here in salt lake city to have him for as long as we did uh i do wonder uh, what he will do beyond that obviously he still does the weber state broadcast as their football and men's basketball voice. Uh, oh, it does say that because okay, he will continue his radio voice uh, work for uh, Weber State football and basketball. But I do wonder how much longer that's going to last. And it's crazy, crazy stuff. Uh, the Bees open their season March 31st this coming Friday, a three-game series against the Sacramento River Cats. We'll, of course, be carrying those here on the KSL Sports Zone because we have like almost every media rights like broadcast rights deal it feels like it'd be cool to have him in his final run uh, through the pcl season upcoming and also before we go probably should give a little bit of a tip of the cap the salt lake city stars of course they don't get a ton of run in our market they're a minor league team similar to the bees but they did some, do something they've never done previously in their franchise history they beat uh the who did they play Let's look this up here uh, they beat the austin austin spurs the other night and they actually clinched a top four seed in the 2023 NBA G League playoffs, which will secure the club's first ever home playoff game. Really cool stuff. They beat the Spurs 134 to 107 to improve to 20 and 11 on the year. Uh, if you have not had an opportunity to go watch the the Stars play, they now call the Maverick Center out there in West Valley City home. Uh, previously, they were playing at Salt Lake Community College uh, before this season, but. Uh, they've had a really good year, all things considered. Like I said, they don't get a ton of run, like I said, here locally. The Jazz, the Utes, the Cougars, the Aggies, they kind of dominate the sports headlines around here. But when you do something like this, you make it the playoffs and secure your first ever home playoff game, that's actually a really, really cool accomplishment. I just wanted to give them a little bit of a shout-out. Micah Potter, who is uh, one of the Utah Jazz two-way players, he had a double-double the other night, 15 points and 10 rebounds uh, to uh, get a double-double in that win. Uh, Christian, I think it's Vital, uh, notched 26 points on 10 of 12 shooting for the Stars uh, in that game that went over the Spurs. So congratulations once again uh, to the Salt Lake City Stars, and obviously we'll be looking forward uh, to that home game coming up. All right, so Sarah, uh, last thing from me, I'm going to pose this question to you. When it comes to Major League Sports in this market, if you were, and this this deserves a bigger discussion, but we have this conversation every so often. If I were to tell you, okay, you can pick one of two, NHL or MLB. If you can pick one major league sport to come to this market, who would it be? I feel like a lot of people will say MLB. That's me. I'm in the MLB. But I think hockey is so fascinating and so fun. Uh Um, I from Tampa, so the Tampa Bay Lightning are a big thing. Go Bolts! And yes, go Bolts! (laughs) And they're the atmosphere that they create is Mm -hmm. so fun. And hockey is just fun to watch. I think it blows my mind what they can do and the athleticism they have to be able to do what, like, 
normal athletes do on a court or a field, but they do it on ice. Sure. It's just wild to me. And so I would probably say hockey. Interesting. I, I'm one major league baseball. I, I just there's something about going to a baseball game midsummer on an evening. It's true. We have incredible summer nights here. That's the one thing I love about Utah is our summer nights are just glorious. It's not still blazing hot like it is down in the desert in Vegas and Phoenix. It cools off. It's just it's and you can go just enjoy the ballpark. I will give you this though. Hockey does have a really cool environment. I just the honestly, vibe of baseball, yes, is super fun. I'm also speaking uh, professionally wise. It fills a hole in our sports calendar here locally to have Major League Baseball. That's true. Will it ever happen? TBD. But I, I'm in Team MLB camp. It's apparently Sarah is Team NHL. Yeah, I'm not a big. City. I just I'm not a big baseball person. Okay. Um, I just don't enjoy watching it. Going to a game sure. is fun, but I'm not there to watch the game. In terms of, okay, I get what you're saying. In terms of the action, hockey's far more the fast-paced, nonstop action, that type there's of thing. There's fights. There's all th- sorts of yeah. things breaking out. Whereas, uh, like, baseball's America's favorite pastime correct, yeah. for a reason. So yep. if I'm taking, like, for the sport alone— <laughs> Hockey, but like the vibe I get, the vibe of baseball during the summer is a good one. Fair enough. All right, well, we'll leave that discussion there for now. Maybe one day we'll have another professional sport call uh, this place home. But uh, nonetheless, big thank you to all of you for tuning in here on the KSL Sports Zone for another edition of the Saturday Show. We'll be back next week, but in the meantime, make sure you keep it locked here on the Zone all week long. DJ and PK, Jake and Ben, Hands and Scotty, Unrivaled. They got you covered every weekday from uh, 6 a.m. to 7 p.m. We got you uh, programming all day long, so check that out. And a big thank you once again for your support. For Sarah, I'm Jake. Have a great rest of your day. This has been the Saturday Show right here on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. See ya. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.